So I was able to thank the Lord for people that had early on believed in me, somebody in childhood and somebody in young adulthood. And then the final one was my wife, Wendy, who, despite giving her lots of evidence to the contrary, continues to believe in me. So that's, it's, it's, it's just amazing the way that um, God brings people alongside of us to do that. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Hey, so today is, is week two of a series that John started last week, and he'll be back next week to, in the next several weeks to carry it through. But we're calling it Life Hack. And the idea of this series, as, as John pointed out last week, that um, there's a, a line in Second Peter that says that God has given you everything you need for the life that he wants us to live. And that is absolutely true. We're, we're literally surrounded by it. If, if we had the eyes to see it, we would actually be overwhelmed at how present God is and how amazing the, the possibilities of our lives are. But we often don't have the eyes to see that yet or the ability to hear God's voice. And so sometimes what you need is just a small trick or a small life hack to make that real and make that visible. And so today we're going to talk about one of those today, um, which I think gratitude or thankfulness is a key one that really opens up a lot of how God is present with us. But because we want to be a full-service church, we want to give you an actual life hack each week. Now, John is a guy that has lots of tools, and he likes tools, and he likes to do things with his hands. But, you know, in the way that the universe balances out, I'm not really that guy so much. So, you know, I can tell you what that tool is in six languages, but to use that tool, not so much. In fact, if you read The Onion, there was an article uh, about, they found the grave of my ancestors um, sometimes back. If you can read the headline there, it says, archaeologists discovered the first hominoid to own tools but never use them. (laughs) Um, That's been sort of my experience. And and some of this really is heritage beyond my, my, my earliest ancestor, it's run through the family through several generations. My, my great-grandfather um, was kind of a tragic figure. He, he really had trouble with drinking, was never a successful adult, and, and didn't really learn how to handle stuff. Now, he passed that on to my grandfather, who resolved it. Luckily, as my grandfather hit adulthood, right around the time that black electrician's tape became available. So even though my grandfather really didn't know how to do much, he knew how to put black electrician's tape on things. And so it sort of became kind of a trademark of his. He didn't have to name something. If you saw black tape on it, you knew it belonged to my grandfather. And some of the ways he used it were great. Some of them were more idiosyncratic. And if if you'd had the privilege of knowing my grandfather, that was kind of his deal. You know, if there was a right way and there was his way, he was going to choose his way. And so his way, a lot of the time, was black tape. So sometimes it worked. You know, instead of getting his golf clubs re-gripped, he would put black tape on the bottom of the grip. They'd last a little bit longer. Sometimes he put it at odd places in his car, which made him feel like that was kind of a cool thing. It probably cut the resale value of his car. But most of the time, it was kind of innocuous. But there there was one time where he did this, and... um, when he and my grandmother moved into the final house that they lived in, it, it didn't have laundry inside the house. It had a place for a washing machine and then just a place for a, a clothesline out in the back. 
And so he had installed, um, ran a gas line out there and had installed a gas clothes dryer in the back. And so after both of my grandparents had died and we were, you know, tidying up the house and getting rid of things and cleaning things up so we could sell the house, um, we were in the garage and we smelled gas. And we were trying to think, where's this gas coming from? And then obviously it was coming from the, the dryer. So we sniffed it out and realized something's leaking. So we shut off the gas and we couldn't figure out where it was. And then my brother looked down at one of the joints in the galvanized pipe taking the gas to the dryer and discovered that my grandfather, rather than using either pipe tape or pipe dope, had tried to seal the pipe joints with black tape. So I, this, is, this is my heritage. And, and so, so I don't have a lot of practical skills, but I, I do have one that I even modified this myself. I'm really proud of this. So what I, what I want to talk to you about today is how to clean glasses. I've been a glasses wearer since I was 10. I wear contacts now, but um, I super nearsighted. I had to wear glasses to play football. I, you know, it's a big ball. I still couldn't see it. Um, and my morning is I stagger out of bed. I rinse out my eyes, and I immediately put on my glasses. I just can't function without them. And so having clean glasses is really kind of an important thing. And, you know, they tell us we ought to clean them probably every day. And yet, cleaning is a hassle. You do it on your shirt tail, and that doesn't work. It scratches them. You try, using a, you try using a microfiber cloth, and even with a microfiber cloth, they smear, and you get streaks, and it's like they were dirty, but now they're, they're dirty in a line, and that's annoying. And so I, I read in one of these, I think it was either Lifehack or Lifehacker, they had, a, they had an article on how to clean your glasses. And so these, these are, the, these are the, um, the, the steps. First, what you want to do is you want to rinse them with really hot water, just not boiling water, but tap water. Turn it all the way up because this is where the physics kicks in. The hotter the water it is, the faster it evaporates off of your glasses, and then it's less likely to spot that way. Right? I mean, so, so first rinse them with really hot water. If you wear hair product or whatever, you know, a tiny bit of dish soap will help clean them up. And dish soap, not hand soap. Hand soap's supposed to leave stuff behind on your hands, and it'll stay behind on your glasses. So a tiny bit of dish soap will help clean them up. So you want to do that. And then, and then you want to dry them off with a microfiber or a, a cotton cloth or something like that. But here is my part. I finally realized one day that the one thing that was sure not to leave streaks was air. So the final step when you're cleaning the lenses Instead of rubbing them off with a cloth, they've already, the water's already beaded up because it was really hot and it's mostly run off. You just give them a blast and you blow the air right off. No streaks, no muss, and it's awesome. So there's your life hack for today. So now that you can see clearly, what are we going to talk about today? So again, the idea of this whole life hack series is that God really has given us everything that we need, but we just don't, don't realize it. And sometimes we need just the smallest thing to unleash what's already there, to help us access what's already true in our lives. And that's what these little life hacks are along the way. So all of the verses we're looking at today are in Colossians. There's an interesting... Um, 
cluster of verses and, and sentences talking about thanks and, and gratitude. And so we're sticking the whole way in Colossians. But just as John read in Second Peter last week, there's a similar verse here in Colossians talking about just what God wants to accomplish in our lives. He says that this is, this is Paul writing to the Colossians, and he's kind of laying out, this is my agenda for people who are followers of Jesus in general. He says, my goal is that they will be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, that's kind of some dense language, and I want to unpack that for a minute. But that's, again, another way of saying that what God wants for you is absolutely amazing, that God has a great agenda for your life. He has a great vision for who you can be. And over and over again, you see the writers of the Bible trying to unleash that in people's lives. Um, and, and we'll see that there is one small way to do that. But let me, let me unpack each of these things a little bit here. So, when, <coughs> excuse me. Cece, where'd you go with Gary's water? Um, <laughs> so the first thing he wants us to be is encouraged in our heart. One of the things that's, that makes life difficult is the amount of decisions that we have to make, the amount of choices that we have to make. And, you know, in, in different cultures, they attribute different emotions to different parts of the body. We tend to think that our heart is where our compassion is. You know, so if somebody's compassionate, we say they have a soft heart. If they're not compassionate, they have a hard heart. Um, but in the biblical world, both the Old and the New Testaments, your heart is where you made your decisions. And so to be encouraged in your heart is to literally have that, to be encouraged in your decision-making process, to have, at the very root of it, to have courage in your decision-making process. A lot of us get stuck in this, like, I don't know what's next, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And what God wants us to be able to do is to have some sense of what's next, to be able to step with some confidence into whatever our next step is. So this is one of the things that he wants for us. Another thing that the Lord wants for us is to be united in love. God loves when his people come together, so that's why what we're doing today, this is, you know, it's not just, I'm not just propagandizing here. What we do each week really does make God happy. It just says it re repeatedly over and over and over again. Whenever his people unite together. So when we, we, we went... When we unite together to sing and greet one another and bless one another and, and open up the scriptures together, that really makes God happy. Anytime his people come together, that's a great thing. But if you were here a couple weeks ago when I was last up front, we talked too about one of the easiest ways to be united is over grievances, over things that we're upset about, over things that we're outraged about. We have a tremendous capacity at people, as people, to come together and especially to come together over the wrong things. To come together over, we both don't like the same guy. Or we're both outraged about the same thing. Or we're both going off the rails in the same kind of way. You ever notice that? That when you're really in trouble, you tend to find people that are similarly kind of off on the same path and go do it with them uh, along the way. So there is something wired into us to seek other people out. But what Paul was saying to the Colossians and he's saying to us is that God's agenda is that we can be united not in how we go wrong, but united in how we go right. And to find that unity not around the things we're outraged about, but to have a common love 
to have a common love for other people, but especially to have that common love for Jesus. And that if we can begin to get a hold of this, as we begin to understand this, this is an incredibly rich experience. That what God has for each of us, well, just put it this way. For if, you've, if you're at the beginning of your time with, with Jesus, it often feels like that what God wants for you is to get rid of things, to stop doing this, to get rid of this. And, so, and sometimes we've been in Christian some of us have been in Christian settings where that's mainly what you talked about, that that's how you make God happy is you stop doing this and you stop doing that and you stop doing other things. And while the Lord is very happy to take away things from us that are self-destructive or destructive to others, what he really wants to do is to take that space that's created by getting rid of stuff and to fill it with something that's even better. And it uses language like this, like riches and power, that what the Lord wants to be able to give to us is just extraordinary. And he wants us to be able to understand how to get a hold of that. And the way that we do that, ultimately, is not a what, but it's a who. It's namely through Jesus. It's mainly through him. Now, so what's the biggest barrier to this, to, to experiencing everything that we, we already, you know, the scriptures tell us a lot, that we already have everything we need in Christ to live the full and abundant life that we have in Jesus. Well, there are other ways of doing it, and we can often get confused by those. For instance, he goes on to say here in Colossians, he says, I t- I'm telling you this, I'm trying to give you a vision for who you can be, of living this rich life, of being united in love, not so that you can be sure that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Now, if you wanted to, you could probably go out and find fine-sounding arguments that will lead you astray. And, and that often sometimes does happen. But in my experience, that's usually not where the biggest problem comes from. I think most of us are... And, and God's spirit is at work in us enough that something that's going to take us away from the good life that Jesus has for us, those often aren't going to grab us too easily. But instead, the real barrier or the real challenge is not out there. It's not something on the radio. It's not something on the Internet. It's not, it's not, it's not some other organized anti-Christian thing. In fact, the thing that's going to lead most of us astray is me. N- not me personally. <laughs> I should have said that better. <laughs> that the source of those bad arguments, the source of the things that lead us away from who God really wants us to be, to the space where he really, to the life that he wants us to live, is usually the stories we tell ourselves the stories we create ourselves, the stories that we believe about this is how life is supposed to work, and I've always thought it's like this. It's the stories we carry around in our head before we ever hear about Jesus and the ones that we create along the way that will hold us back. That, you know, instead of hearing what God really has to say, that we begin, there's there's something that just sounds right to us. And Here's one of them that I think really gets us in the wrong place. Is that if there is a particular life that God wants us to lead, there must be 
a particular script. There must be a particular path. There must be a particular way. And if I could just figure out what that path is, if I could just get on that path, I'll get there. And you could see that that belief is deep inside of people. If you look at BuzzFeed, if you look at Lifehack or Lifehacker, if you look at any kind of magazine or the kinds of stuff that shows up on TV, we as human beings believe that for most things in life, there are five steps to do this. This one weird trick will help you do this. Or this one thing will, will somehow get you on the true path, will get you on the true script. And a lot of us are really frustrated and we really tear ourselves down because we assume that there's like some kind of code out there. And if I could just break the code, I'll be able to figure life out. Those guys who have their life together over there, I think they figured out the code and that's why life is going well for them. They figured out whatever the secret is and, and they know it and they're now applying it along the way. And we often expect and come to the Lord expecting him to be like that, to lay out, okay, here's the script. If you just know this, if you could just break the code, you'll be okay. But here's the truth. There is no code. There is no specific path. And if you just knew these five things, you'd be able to get on to it. That it's not a set of circumstances that lead us to the life that God wants, to have, wants us to have. It's not a technique. There's no spiritual equivalent of using compressed air to clean your glasses. There's no trick along the way. Because what we find out at the end is there's no... Jesus, or to put it this way, Jesus doesn't put us on the path to the life that God has for us. Jesus is the path. Jesus doesn't put us on the way to the life that God has for us. Jesus is the way. Look again at the first passage we looked at. So he wants us to be encouraged in heart, united in love, have full riches of the complete understanding, and that we would know the mystery of God, which is namely Christ. That the real thing that God wants us to know is not the way to Jesus, but Jesus himself. That Jesus himself is the path to that. That said, though, it does seem, and you see, it's, it's odd the way it pops up continually here in Colossians, but it does seem that thankfulness is just a small thing. It's not the path, but it somehow helps us see Jesus and helps us get a hold of Jesus that much easier. Just a few sentences later in Colossians, it says this. So then, just as you have received Jesus as Lord, freely, graciously, out of God's mercy, continue your lives in him. Notice that. Continue your lives, not in tribute to him, but in him. And be rooted, not in the circumstances of your life, not in the details of your life, but be rooted and built up in him, in Jesus himself. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, all of those things, I mean, there are, there are ways that people over the years have tried to put feet onto those different things of what it means to continue to live your life in him, um, to be rooted and built up in him. And it's, it's a combination of 
being in his presence, of, of listening to him, of, of praying, of, of living out your life. It's all, it's all kind of complicated, all of those things. But the one thing in that whole list that it's easy to get a hold of and easy to, to grab onto is the idea of thankfulness. Thankfulness is something we can do right now. Hopefully you just did it a few minutes ago when I asked you to express thanks to the Lord for the person in your life or the people in your life that had blessed you and helped you. But there is something really astounding about the way that committing to thankfulness makes a lot of other things fall together. And that's what it is. It's like a first step. It's not a trick. It's not, I was lost until I tried this one weird trick. It's not that kind of thing. But instead, it's the one thing that if you do this, it just, it seems like a whole lot of other things follow behind it. As I was reading about this and thinking and praying about this, one of the things that really helped me was this book, um, Help, Thanks, Wow, by Anne Lamott. Um, I'm a big fan of it. How many of you guys have read Anne Lamott along the way? Just sitting Anyway, Anne Lamott is great. She's a, she's a novelist who, um, kind of a theme today, came from a very difficult family, and a lot of her difficulties manifested in a drinking problem, and she basically drank her way out of her gift and kind of bottomed out for a while and found her way out of the bottom through a 12-step program and then found that her higher power was Jesus and has continued to follow Jesus along the way. And what's really great about her is that because she came to Jesus through an alternative path later on in life, she's not bound at all by how Christians are supposed to talk and, and how things are supposed to be. And she occasionally uses bad words and stuff like that. But it, it's just very real. It's very fresh. And the way she talks about gratitude and thankfulness, I think, is, is really awesome. If you got this book... It's, it's only 100 pages, so you're reading like 30 pages, and the print's big, and the pages are small, and there's space between the lines. So it wouldn't take you that long to, to get there. This is, this is you know, it's, it's 20 to 30 minutes to read this chapter, but, it, but it's just loaded. But there's one thing that she talked about that was, that was really good. She talks about that there's three different kinds of, of thankfulness, and she began because her first approach to God was coming out of a really dark and difficult time in her life, her first prayers were basically just this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, just getting it out. And the first two levels of giving thanks to God are that. They are reactive to really rough things in your life. And so the first kind that Anne talks about is that you're thankful for because something extraordinary that would have been extraordinarily bad, didn't happen. And almost atheists, agnostics, people who believe in many gods, whoever you are, when something, when you're on the freeway and the guy tries to go four lanes all at once and you jump on your brakes and somehow you all miss each other and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We've all experienced that along the way. Now, that's probably doesn't need to be part of our lives, but, but those, those, those things are out there, and those things are out there. The second one is when you realize you've dodged a bullet 
for something that's awful and maybe expected, but you might not happen in your life, that you know it's a possibility, but, but might, might not happen to you. So you're feeling crummy, and they do a blood test. This is for you're feeling crummy, they do the blood test, and the doctor, oh, wow, and you have lots and lots of white blood cells. And then the doctor says, we need to do some more tests. And then you get the test back. And he's, he, instead of saying, go see the oncologist, he says, here's some Benadryl. And you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. These kinds, these kinds of, 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 of thankfulness, no one needs to talk to us about those. We know how to do these. It's a reaction. It's, it's almost a reaction as a cat batting at a piece of string. We as humans, even the worst humans, know to be thankful when they know they just dodged a bullet along the way. But here's the challenge. How do we best appropriate gratitude? How do we best be thankful for the things in our life when things go well? Now, if you've been a parent, you know that that's one of the things you try to teach kids how to do, to be thankful. You know, that when they're given a gift, to not just size it up and, is this good, is this bad, Can I, do I want to play with it right away, or am I embarrassed that this person gave me this gift, or, or whatever it is. But you try to help kids to be grateful, to be thankful. You know, what else do you need to say? You know, that kind of stuff. Parents do that all the time. So there's a level of learning to say thanks that's important. But it's easy to go wrong on that final level too. Because if our thanks, our final list of thanks, when they're focused on what goes well and when things go right, what we're really thinking and really thanking for a lot of the time is that we're thankful that things went according to the plan that things went according to the way I thought they were going to go, that this met my expectations. Now, there's plenty of times when that's nice. If someone's trying to do a nice birthday meal for you, and they do the meal that was just right for what you wanted, and you say, thank you, that's exactly what I wanted, that's great. But if we want to live our lives beyond the boundaries of the dinner table, we know that along the way, if all that we are thankful for are the things that we had hoped for or the things that we had wanted, we are actually shortchanging ourselves. Because the life that God wants for us is far more and it's far better than we expect. That God's best for you is way better than what you hope for right now. That what the life that God, that Jesus, that God wants us to have in Christ is far superior than we can even imagine. And so if our gratitude is stuck just to what happens according to the plan, instead what we find is we begin to think that God is only at work in the circumstances of my life. And here's where it really goes wrong. If our, if our thanks are rooted only in the good circumstances of our lives, then where are we when the circumstances are poor, when the circumstances are bad. If our, if our connection to God is, oh man, I was late and I wasn't sure I, 
I, I was late, and that shirt, I wasn't sure if it was clean. It was clean. And then I got in the car, and I hit four green lights that are normally red. And I made it on time, and I didn't have a wrinkly shirt. God is good. Thank you so much, Lord. That's great. I mean, you know, you lucked out. But what happens when the shirt is not only not on the hanger, but it's at the bottom of the hamper, and you can't wear it? And you hit all red lights. Where's God then? And what happens then? That if you're finding God just in your circumstances, in the goodness of God, just in the good circumstances of your life, you're really missing out on the way that thankfulness can unleash who God really wants to be in our lives. Look again at that that verse we, we just looked at. He wants our lives to be rooted not in our perception of our blessings, not in our perception of the things that are going right, not in the ways that it's conforming to what we think is good, but he wants our lives to be rooted and built up in him. And so I I guess what I'm saying here is that if we're going to really unleash what God wants in our life with thanks, our thanks should be focused not on what they are, but on who, on the one who gives them. So our focus is not on, wow, that went well, or this made me happy, or man, I'm glad I avoided that. But I'm thankful to you, Lord. I'm rooted in you. I'm thankful for you that this is a sign of your presence, but I know that your presence is far greater than this. I know that this one thing that went well is a sign of your love, but I know that your love was here before, after, and it will be there for me in the future. And Lord, help me as I give you thanks for your love to look for it in ways that I can't even imagine yet. See, our thanks, if, if our thanks are rooted in who God is rather than what we think God does, then what the Lord can accomplish in our lives is so much greater, so much better. The Lord wants to give us what we want, but if all we want is what we can imagine, it puts such a limit on what the Lord is able to do. And if our thanks are limited to the, thing, the way things conform to our plans, then we're going to miss out on what God wants. He goes on to, again to say that this is another one of the references to or thankfulness. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. It's almost as if the thankfulness is an interruption. And the reason for this is that peace is a matter of God's presence. It's not a matter of God's plan. What you need for, to have a sense of God's peace in your life is not to have everything go right, but to know that God is with you in the midst of whatever you're facing. So what thankfulness does is it has the ability to interrupt that when we are stuck in a bad sequence, when we are stuck in a place of thinking our life is merely about this thing, or that something has gone really wrong with us or really wrong with God because we're on a bad streak, thankfulness, just Lord, I am thankful that I belong to you. I'm thankful for your love. I'm thankful for your place in my life. It interrupts those bad narratives in our head. It interrupts those ways that we get stuck on the wrong stories. It gets stuck. It interrupts the ways that we, that we tell ourselves false tales along the way. And having interrupted that, what thankfulness does, it is allows us to reset. It allows us to recenter. It allows us to get off of our story and onto the story of what God is doing in our lives. 
One final thing. He talks together, he talks here about letting the message of Christ dwell richly among you. And, and it kind of talks about what we just did here. We sing together, we look at the Bible together, and at the end, we have gratitude in our hearts. The word that's translated gratitude there is actually the word grace. It's with grace. With gratitude is really with the grace, literally, in the original language. And to finish up, and as the band comes up, I just want to leave you with a couple of key ideas to get a hold of this. The first one is, is that thankfulness is grace. Meaning, the ability to be thankful is something that God wants to give you and has already given you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to develop it. He just gives it to you. You receive it. But it's also thankfulness. When we're thankful to others, it's a grace that we extend to them. The world that God wants to, the way the world, God wants the world to be is more present and gracious when we're thankful. And then thankfulness has an ability to actually create grace. As we begin to think, as we begin to turn to the Lord, it creates grace in our life. And then two final things that I think are just amazing, and I'll just say them shortly and let you hold on to them. The first is, is that thankfulness has the ability to begin to take shame away from our lives. You know what it's like when somebody does something really nice for you and you feel kind of embarrassed? that they've done this nice thing, that that embarrassment can sometimes feel so strong it almost feels a bit like shame. But if we can begin to graciously accept what God has done with thankfulness, it begins to take the hooks of shame out of our lives and the other places where shame is begin to go away. It starts with thankfulness. And the other part, thankfulness empowers good. That if you can articulate your thankfulness for God's good presence in your life, if you can accept the good that God has done in your life, then it becomes far more possible and far easier for you to do good yourself. If you can think of yourself as someone who is worthy and eligible for God to do good and to receive that with simple thanks, somehow barriers and dams tend to break and it becomes that much easier and that much more possible for you to do good as well. It's your ability to receive good from God that turns around and empowers each of us to do good for one another. So once again, friends, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Because as members of one body, we're called to peace. And above all, be thankful.